we are in the book of Nehemiah. We're walking our way through the book. Uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. He uh, was doing his job all of a sudden. Uh, he was in uh, Shushan, the palace, d- being the cupbearer for the king. One of his brothers came in and uh, said, he asked him how things were going in Jerusalem, and he said, it ain't going so well. So Nehemiah burdened, prays, and fasts, actually for almost four months. All of a sudden, he's in the presence of the king, and the king says, hey, what's wrong? I can tell something's bothering you. And the king said, well, uh, Nehemiah said, well, he said, my, my father's tombs are, no, the, the walls are down and everything else. And so the king said, well, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah said, I'd like to go back and build the walls. And the king looked at him and said, how long are you going to be gone? And he tells him how long he's going to be gone for. And so Nehemiah chapter 1, then Nehemiah, with this incredible boldness, looks to the king and says, by the way, could you give me diplomatic immunity? Could you give me a piece of paper that allows me to travel over there to build the walls in Jerusalem? And and nobody can give me a problem with it. And uh, the king says, okay. And then Nehemiah gets even more bold and says, oh, by the way, can I have your credit card? Because I need to pay for it when I get there. And the king looks at him and says, you know what? Sure. You can have, uh, I'll foot the bill for you to go back and build the wall. And then the king looks at him, although he doesn't ask for this, when he goes re- gets ready to go back to Jerusalem, the king looks at him and says, I'm going to give you an escort. I'm going to give you a whole army and to go back with you so as you go back. So we talked about that in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah goes back. He gets to the walls. We talked about this last week. We talked about the idea that after basically a, a long journey, uh, Nehemiah rests for three days, which is kind of unusual that the Bible tells us that, but it's important. And we talked about the idea of making sure that we recharge ourselves, that we take the time we need to have. So Nehemiah takes the time, then at night he goes, and uh, after those three days, he starts looking around and figuring out what needs to be done, and, and he comes up with a plan. And we get to the end of Nehemiah, chapter 2, and Nehemiah presents it to the people, and the people go, yeah, we're in, let's go build the walls. And then, as we talked about last week, opposition comes, and people come along and try to shut it down, and Sam Ballot and Tobiah and, and Gisham and the, those guys try to shut it all down, and Nehemiah says, no, 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 no. we're going we're gonna to build the walls, you guys go away. And that's where we ended last week. Now we, now we come to chapter 3, and chapter 3 is um, it's a preacher's nightmare. Okay? I'm just going to tell you, because it's a whole list of names you can't pronounce in places that we don't know where they are, and you can't pronounce the places either. So if I would spend this morning, like I normally do, and read the whole chapter, you would be asleep before we're done, because it's just kind of mind-numbing. Okay? So I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. We're still going to look at a couple of verses, but... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about some general principles. You can go back and read chapter 3 for yourself. And uh, you can look at, at some of the names. Because there are some fascinating stories in chapter 3. All right? And so let me talk about some things in a generic concept of chapter 3. Some overall principles. Then I'm going to zero in on three principles that I want to share with us to help us as we go throughout the week. So um, <clears throat> here you go. And, and oh, I want to do this too. I want to give you an idea. Um, of, of, of the walls, because I think we lose perspective of this. The walls in Jerusalem that Nehemiah repairs and rebuilds are, encompass a total of about two and a half miles. So, in your head, here's what I want you to picture. 
From here to Climbing Hill is about two miles. So as you drive to my house this afternoon, and you're driving down, I want you to think about building a wall from here to Climbing Hill. Now let me give you the dimensions of the wall. The average width of the wall is at least eight feet. So in some places it's wider, in some places it's smaller. The average height of the wall is 40 feet. So as you look at the telephone poles as you're driving, I want you to think about building a wall at least eight feet wide, as high as a telephone pole, on average, from here to Climbing Hill. That was the task in front of these people. Um, in addition to that, there are a number of gates and there are a number of towers, about 37 towers that even go up a little bit higher. That's the task that these people accomplished. And by the way, they accomplished it in 52 days. They did it in two months. Okay? In two months. Now, we've been working on this for a year, and this has been going fast. Okay? Uh, I can't imagine. Now, by the way, yeah, everybody goes, oh, well, they had a lot of people. Okay, time out. You still had to feed them? They still have to do their jobs and make a living? So if they got cattle, they still got to take care of the cattle? If they got sheep, they still got to take care of the cattle? And you're going to find this morning all kinds of people were involved. They still have to do their job and do this. So this is a massive undertaking. This is an incredible thing that these people accomplished um, and that God does here. So a uh, couple of, uh, of ideas as you look at chapter 3. Here's some that just throw it out. Uh, one of the things that you're going to see in chapter 3 is this. Insignificant people are important to God. Okay? We could care less. I don't even want to take the time this morning to read those names. But God thought it was important enough to put them in the Bible for us to read them. Why? Because those names were important to God. And I think we forget that sometimes. You know, we look at it and we go, you know, well, you know, I just like do this. No, no, no. People, insignificant people, people who aren't, aren't you know, we look at the Bible and we talk about Peter and Paul and John and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and David. And, you know, they're, they're way up. God took an entire chapter and threw all of these names out there. Um, here's what's interesting. Listen to verse 5. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Look at verse 5 because this is fascinating. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put the shoulder, their shoulders to the work of their Lord. You know who else is mentioned? The nobles of Tekoa who said, we're too good to work. We're not going to help. We'll let our people help. We're not going to do the job. I think it's interesting because, you know, here's the thing. I mean, for whatever reason, these guys may have a good reason for not helping. May have had a great reason for, for not helping. But for all of eternity, God takes note of people who didn't help. It's like God said, he's going to list all these people that do all these things, name after name after name after name. And he goes, oh, by the way, but, FYI, let's just put a little parenthesis here. The nobles of Tekoa, they wouldn't work. Why? Because God's paying attention, folks. God pays attention when we do what we're supposed to do, when we don't do what we're supposed to do. And and in this case, these guys may have had a great reason for not helping, but we'll never know what it was. And nobody cares because all we do, we're going to focus on all of the people who did work, got it accomplished in 52 days, but these guys didn't get to enjoy it. Because they sat back for whatever reason and said, you know, we're just not going to be a part of that. And here's the sad thing. They missed out. They missed out of being part of something great. 
One of the things I want to just challenge you with is this idea of sometimes you don't recognize an opportunity because it's disguised as a responsibility. And, and, and too often, I think, you know, I, I listen to older, I don't know, older parents. You take that however you want to take it. But I listen to parents who say, if I could go back and do it over with again, I would do this. And here's the thing. I've never in my lifetime had any older person tell me, I wish I would have worked more hours. But I could spend the rest of the day and we could spend the rest of the day listening to testimonies of you who say, I wish I would have spent more time with my kid. I had one of the kids, one of the first weddings I ever did. Um, they've been married now, I don't know, 25 years or so. And, and so late. He had a great post on Facebook yesterday. His daughter's in college now. And um, uh, she was a big sports person. And he said it was a sad day in our house because he built in his backyard a pitching mound. She was a pitcher. And he built a pitching mound for her. He said, we took up the pitching mound and, pound, and planted grass today, you know. And I thought, you know, he said, you know, I don't even know where the time went. He said, we've spent so much time out there together. And, uh, you know, he said it was, a, it was an eye-opening day for us to, to tear it all down and put grass there, you know, because it goes so fast. And, and, and I think sometimes we don't, we don't realize the opportunities that are in front of us. Um, and these guys, the men of Tekoa, the nobles of Tekoa, they missed out. It was an incredible opportunity to be part of something, and you know what? They missed out. Uh, second principle that, that kind of stands out in this thing. The project involved everybody. When you look at the stories and the names and the places and stuff like that, uh, listen to this passage right here in verse 3, uh, which I think is fascinating. Then Elijah, the high priest, rose up with his brethren and built the sheet gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of 100 and consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hanel. See what it says in the beginning? These are the first people that are mentioned. Elisha, the high priest. Now, you've got to realize, in this culture, the high priest didn't, the high priest did high priest stuff. He didn't build walls and hang gates. You know, I joked with the guys Friday morning. We were talking about this. Somebody was asking me, you know, well, what do you think we ought to do here? And I looked at them and said, time out, guys. I said, look. I said, when I went to school, there was no class on how to put in a drainage tube. I said, I like, I like skipped that whole course. I said, I am so out of my league in this. I said, whatever you guys say is what I think we ought to do. There's some things I'll have an opinion on, and they hear it. Um... <laughs> whether they ask for it or not. But there's other things that's like, I don't know. Here's the thing. These guys were the leaders. Here was the, he was the spiritual leader of the whole group, and he's the one, and he's mentioned first. He says, here's what they did. They went and they, they, they worked. Even the high priest got involved in this thing. When you go through this list, here's what you'll find. You'll find there are people that are rulers that work. There are gatekeepers that work. There are farmers. There are perfume makers. There's pharmacists. There's merchants. There's temple servants. In, in verse 12, women are mentioned. And you've got to realize, I know that's like, well, they should be mentioned. You know, women can do stuff. No, time out. In this culture, women were not mentioned. Women didn't do this kind of stuff. But when, when, when God puts this thing together, he says, look, everybody's going to be involved in this. The women, there's even a bachelor when you, when you realize where he lived and all. He was a bachelor. He was a single guy. All 
these people get on. Everybody just jumped in to do this thing, except the men at Tacola. You know, they said, no, nope, we're not going to be part of it. But everybody else, you, and here's the other thing. They came from all over. When you look at the places, there's Jerusalem, there's Jericho, um, there's Tekoa, there's Mizpah, there's outlying villages. Some of them work very close to their house. Some of them work far away from their house. They were from all over that came and did this thing and pitched in to work together. Because you see, it takes a little bit of everybody to accomplish something for the kingdom of God. Everybody pitches in and does what they can. You know, we've seen that here. You know, we've had people go, you know what, I work, I work, and I can't get me up here on Tuesday or Friday. But I can drop a meal off, you know. But I can, I, I, I can loan somebody equipment. I can do this. I got this. I got that. And, and that's how it happens. That's how it gets going. And, and I just want to encourage you because everybody in this, in this project that, uh, of building these walls, everybody pitches in. Uh, here's another principle you see in Chapter 3. Uh, you see this idea that they learn to work together. Um, over and over again, you'll see this phrase, work next to, work beside, work, work with. Um, they learn to work together. And, and that's important. You know, the thing that I enjoy so much in this project has been the, the, the working together. Um, the, the, the just being together. You get to see people outside of the normal. You know, I mean, we're, we're like all churchy today. You know, um, you know, um, you know, these guys have watched me come in wearing my work shirts. Like, kiss me, I'm Mexican. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. I wear it. I wear it up here, and people are like, what? I have to make sure I don't wear it on days that we're having, like, hired people coming in to do, like, the ceiling. You know, they're going, I don't know what kind of church that is. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's one of my work shirts. I got it. We were in Texas. I got it. And I'm like, I'm not Mexican, and I don't want you to kiss me. If you know me, I'm not. A, I'm like, whoa, you know. You know, hugging is, is a stretch for me, much less, you know, kiss me because I'm Mexican. Uh, but anyway, I, I got the shirt. And, and anyway, I, we're comfortable. We get to be that way around each other. And you get to know each other. And you get to understand that. That's what's so important is learning to work together. See, they had one focus, and that was getting the wall built as fast as we could. Nothing else mattered. And you're going to see as we go further along there, all the problems that came. Um, another thing is this. Um, everybody did what they could. Uh, this is fascinating. I think. Um, look at look at verse um, eleven. Uh, I think that's the one. Is that the one? Yeah. Hanan and the habits of Zona. Now you know why I didn't read this whole chapter. The whole chapter is with words like this. Repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors and bolts and bars. Repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Here's what these guys do. These guys finish their section of the wall. And then they build another 500 yards. It's like, okay, we got our section done, and they're going, you know, those guys, they're a little slower than we are. Let's just, now, <laughs> unfortunately, we do this up here, so I, we're kind of telling ourselves. We sit and watch other people work, okay? And what they did was they said, you know what? Hey, look, they're working this way. We're done with ours. So we're just going to keep on going. And they did another 500 yards worth of work on the wall. They're like, you know what, we can do it, let's go do it. And that's what you see. You see people going, okay, you know what, this is what, this is what I need to do. I get this done, and then, you know what, I'm able to do this. I'm going to do a little extra or more. I'm going to do a little extra. I'm going to do a little more. I'm going I'm I'm to go ahead and do this too. And they all pitch in that way. You see that with this, 
with that's how the wall got built so quickly is everybody's pitching in and, and, and doing more than their fair share. Um, another principle you see in this passage is the idea, look, somebody had to call the shots. Somebody had to tell people where to work. Somebody had to go, okay, you know what? So they're willing to follow Nehemiah. And they're able to say, okay, Nehemiah, what do you want us to do? I want you to work over here. Okay, I'll work over here. Okay, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do that. Somebody's got to lead. Um, and I, I don't think Nehemiah wanted to lead. But Nehemiah had a servant's heart. He was the king's cupbearer. So there's no better person to lead than somebody with a servant's heart. That's why when Jesus is on the earth, one of the things that he says is, you want to be the greatest? Then go to the bottom. You want to be the top? Be willing to do the bottom stuff. Um, and, 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 and that's a focus you see of, of Christ's teaching is it's, it's kind of an oxymoron. The way up is down. Um, and way the way to the front is to put yourself last. And so you see those kinds of things. I want to zero in on three this morning um, that I think are great to help us as we head into this week. Here's the first one. In order for God's kingdom to go forward, it has to have willing hearts. You have to have willing hearts. You have to have people who are going to sit back and say, you know what, I'm willing to allow God to use me. I may be out of my comfort zone, but you know what, I'm going to let God use me. God, God, you know, that's not my thing, but I'll let you do whatever you want to do with my life and use me however you want to use me. My hero in this passage is this guy. Uh, throw that verse up. Um, uh, what's the next one, guys? Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Um, Malchijah, the son of Rackham. Okay, we're, I'm going to call him Malcolm, okay? Because, here's why, this is the second Malcolm that's mentioned, all right? Uh, and both of them have great stories. In verse 11, there's another Malcolm mentioned who has a different dad, okay? He has a different uh, thing. He's fascinating because in Ezra chapter 10, he's mentioned, and he has a pagan wife. And Ezra confronts him and goes, hey, look, you know, this is wrong. God's not pleased with it. And by the time we get to Nehemiah chapter 3, <clears throat> he has changed, and he is now serving God in a way for God to use him. So you see this tenderness on his part, his ability to, to change and for God to use him in spite of his past. This guy, leader of the district of Beth Hakaram, repaired the refuse gate. He built and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. All right. Here's why this guy's my hero. This is Malcolm number two. Okay. Here's why this guy's my hero. What did he repair? Say it. What did he repair? The refuse gate. You know what the refuse gate is? In Jerusalem, at the southern tip of the city, there's a gate, and it leads to the Valley of Hinnon. The Valley of Hinnon is the garbage dump for Jerusalem. The way to the garbage dump was through the garbage gate, the refuse gate. So I want you to picture in your mind what this guy's got to do. This guy has to hang a gate by the garbage dump, and every day while he's working, people come by with their garbage. Hey, Malcolm, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Every day, in and out, people walking their garbage by this guy to hang the, garbage, to hang the gate. 
And this guy's got, I mean, and I can't imagine. When Nehemiah goes, okay, hey, I'm going to hand out assignments. All right. Anybody want the refuse gate? I mean, it's not like everybody's, oh, me, 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 me. You know, anybody want the gate by the temple? Oh, yeah, there's a volunteer list for that. Anybody want to take out the trash and deal with the trash gate? No. So you can imagine if his name's read. Hey, Malcolm, too. Yeah, your family's in charge of the garbage gate. Now, here's a kicker. When you look at this, this guy lives six miles away. The little village that he's from is six miles. He has to make the trip six miles to work next to the garbage dump in Jerusalem. <clears throat> I don't know if he made the trip every day. I don't know if he just, like, pulled his camper up there for, for two months. I don't know if he begged somebody to stay with him so he didn't have to make the trip anymore. But this guy's willing to do this. And here's, the, here's the, what's so great about this guy. You know what his job is when you get later in the chapter? He's a goldsmith. Here's a guy who during the week for a career works with gold. And you know what he's doing in Jerusalem? He's hanging the door to the trash bin of Jerusalem. Why? Because somebody had to do it. And if that's how I can serve God, I'll work by the trash bin, hang in the gate, so we can get gates on the city. What an incredible heart. What an incredible willingness to say, God, if you can use me next to the trash can, I'm in. I'm in. And that's what God wants. You know, God wants people who are willing to say, you know what, I'll do whatever. You know? If it means clean, if it means this, if it means that, if it means, it means I go work with, with some Christian organization in some office somewhere taking out the trash or mopping the floors or helping, then I'll do that. Just use me, God. I'll, I'm okay with any of that. It takes a willing heart. Second thing you see in this passage is this idea of it takes people who are willing to follow leadership. I'm very fortunate here. I've been here now over 25 years. Um, and I, I'm very fortunate here in that I have a board who get it. They understand ministry. Their heart and passion is for ministry. Their heart and passion is for what's best for this place and the people and this community. Unfortunately, most pastors don't get to say that. I, I do. And most pastors, board thing, it's an adversarial kind of relationship. I, I'm very fortunate to not have that. That doesn't mean that we all agree all the time. We hash it out, and everybody has their point, and we listen to all of it. And there are times that I'll say, guys, what do you think we ought to do here? And they'll, they'll give me a suggestion, and we'll decide, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And there's times that I'll say, guys, as the pastor, this is what I think we ought to do, and, and they'll follow leadership. But when it's all said and done, we're always on the same page. And if the kingdom of God is going, goes forward, it has to go forward with people who are willing to follow the leadership. He mentions the nobles of Tekoa who wouldn't follow. And he goes, these guys, they weren't willing to do what was asked of them. You know, it's like Malcolm. If he would have looked at him and he goes, you know what, time out. I don't do garbage. Give me another job. Then he would have been listed along with the nobles of Tekoa. But he's not. You know Why? Because he's willing to follow leadership. And, and when Nehemiah says, again, I don't think anybody should blind. You're, you get in trouble, you blindly follow leadership. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I'm talking about when you know leadership wants 
what God wants, then it's important to jump in behind them. And, and if you can't jump in behind them, go find some place that you can jump in behind the leadership. Really, that's so important. We're fortunate we don't have that here, but it's a very important point for us to understand. But here's the kicker. A willingness to serve and a willingness to follow leadership is not enough. Um, you got to have the third point, and that's the idea of hands that will work. See, if these people would have stepped, stood up and said, hey, awesome, Nehemiah, hey, we'll follow you, uh, but we're not going to work. The wall doesn't get built. It doesn't happen. Um, you know, uh, everybody's got to do whatever they can do. And, and, and here's what's interesting. When you go through this chapter and you start looking at where these people lived and where they traveled, and some went just literally, the, how, the, the section of the wall they worked on was right across the street from them. Um, some of them traveled a long distance. You're going to see this as we get later into the story. It becomes a problem for some. Um, you, you start to see everybody going, you know what, this is where I am and this is what I can do, so this is what I will do. This is important for you to understand. Because somehow along the way, we get this version of Christianity that salvation, that putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation is the way to go to heaven. And that's exactly true. But you need to understand, that is such a small part of what salvation is all about. It, it's like me looking at a great big huge wedding cake and going... Oh, you know what? That was the best topper I've ever seen on the top of a cake. You go, what did it taste like? I didn't taste it, but it was an awesome topper up there. Yeah, but they didn't make the topper. They bought it. Yeah, but it was the coolest topper ever. You'd look at me and go, that's insane. You know, you, you want to try the cake, and you want to look at how the cake was made and all of that kind of stuff that is important to you guys. You don't focus on the topper. And what happens is in salvation, we get this idea that putting my faith and trust in Christ gets me to heaven, and it's all about heaven, and it's all about heaven. It's, no, it's so much more than that. It's about being able to live life here in such a way as to reflect Christ all the time. That's why Jesus said, I am come, not that you might have life, eternal life, but life abundantly, life abundantly here. In other words, I'm come so that you can live such a way here that you can make a difference in the kingdom of God. It's about what you do here. In other words, think about it for a minute. If the goal of salvation was heaven alone, then here's a question. Why wouldn't God say, as soon as you put your faith and trust in me, I'm going to take your life and you're going to go to heaven? I mean, if that's a focus, doesn't that make sense? Get saved, die, go to heaven. Well, who's going to tell anybody about it? That'd be a problem, wouldn't it? You see, the goal is for us to reflect Jesus Christ in all that we say and do. The goal is for the world to see Christ in us. The goal is for us to live in such a way that people want what we have. The goal is that wherever God has put you, for you to have a ministry. And I think this is what we miss. For whatever reason, we don't want to be bold about it. We don't want to say something. We don't want to, we back off and we back off. And, it, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. 
you will put on a shirt for your favorite jersey and not care who says what about it. But yet we won't speak up for Christ when we have the opportunity. Because we're afraid, oh, I might offend them. I have yet to see an Iowa or Nebraska fan worried about offending Iowa or Nebraska people. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, you were born in Iowa, son. Um, I know. Anyway, you see what I'm saying, though? And all of a sudden we get into the Christianity thing, oh, I don't want to offend anybody, I don't want to offend anybody. Really? Why the double standard? Why the double standard? You see, here's the thing. God has put you somewhere. And where he has put you is your place of ministry. You go, well, you know, I don't, you know, I, I just, I don't know how God can use me. Take out the trash. Do whatever you can do. Find a place of service. And, and, and I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to be hard on you, but I, I want you to really think about this. If your life ends today, what impact does it make on the kingdom of God? What impact? What do we have to replace now that you're gone? What committees do you sit on where you have an influence for God that we now have to get somebody to take your place? What ministries out there do we have to all of a sudden now go and say, hey, you know what, they came in once a week and helped out here. They, they, once a month they volunteered to do this. We've got to get somebody to replace them now. What things are you doing outside of you that we've got to get somebody to step in for? Or we'll even make a difference. One of the things that challenged me with this church is, is and I heard this years ago, and it's really a driving thing for me. As they asked the question, I was at a pastor's deal or something, and they asked the question, they said, let me ask something. If your church closed tomorrow, would the community notice? And would it make a difference? If we shut this thing down tomorrow, would this community be affected and impacted at all? Because the answer is, it should. We should be making a difference. Because that's what we're called to do. What is it in your life where all of a sudden now we've got to get somebody to replace you? Because that ultimately is what ministry and service and being letting God use you is all about. And I want to challenge you because what happens for so many of us is our world becomes all about us. It becomes about our job and it becomes about our family and it becomes about our this and it becomes about our this. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is when we leave this world, there's nothing behind that anybody's got to replace other than stuff that affected us anyway. That's not what we're here for. And so I want to challenge you to find a place where you can make a difference. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that as a Christian, you ought to get involved somewhere. I, I'm not saying it has to be here. We may or may not have what the thing is that you are passionate about. We may not, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you come to me and I'll find you a place where they can use you. Because we got all kinds of organizations in this community that can use you. You know, and I mean, everything from, you know, I'm adamant about this with my, with my mom and my dad. I was, you know, when my dad was here, I, 
still living. I, I was adamant about my dad. I mean, you know, at a nursing home, you know, I'd listen to him. He'd tell me about how hard it was and blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, Dad, what, what are you doing? Well, you don't understand. I'm in a wheelchair. I said, so what? God has you there for a reason. So here was a cool thing for my dad. He was phenomenal with computer stuff. So he started interviewing people in the nursing home. And he put their life story together. He put it on a CD and he'd give it to them. He'd interview them. At his funeral, we had people come up to us and say, you know what, I, I want you to know, you don't know me, but one of the most precious things our family owns to this day is your dad put together a CD and interviewed my mom or interviewed my dad and put their life story together on CD. And every member of our family has a copy of it. It's one of the most precious things that we own. Why? Because he decided he wasn't just going to sit and soak. Going to do what he could while he could. God's got something for every one of you out there as well. Find it. Find it. Let God use you. Make a difference. That's what it's about. This wall gets built in 52 days because these people had a willing heart, an ability to go in and say, hey, I'll serve. I'll follow the leadership of whatever group they were with. And you know what? I'll put my hands to it and go do something. You want God to use you? Willing heart, ability to jump in and get behind the organization or whatever it is that you're willing to get behind and help and do what you can. That's how the kingdom of God goes forward. And that's how you're going to see at the end of this story in the book of Nehemiah, even the, the, un, the pagan world around them sit back and go, I don't know how in the world they got two and a half miles of wall, averaging 40 feet high, eight feet long, eight feet wide, built in less than two months. Only God. Only God. So I end it this morning with this. God saved us to share the gospel with others. In order for his kingdom to go forward, we've got to be about the work of serving him and not ourselves. It involves all of us serving where he has put us with willing hearts, and willing hands. Let him use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, thanks for all you're doing here. But Lord, there is so much more that you want to do. So Lord, use us. Help us all to find a place this week, Lord, where we can serve others by serving you. Lord, there is so much potential represented here for impacting our community for Christ. And uh, Lord, just use us. And when it is all said and done, and we gather around your throne, may we be able to look back and see you continually working in lives because you allowed us to be used. And uh, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to stand together, and let's. Uh, we're going to close by singing. Uh,